Welcome to another edition of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, and do we have some football action for you again. Yep, it is week six of the college football season, and we're just two weeks out from the Big Ten joining the mix. This week, there is big test for number seven, Miami visiting number one, Clemson. Just the fifth ACC game featuring two top ten teams since 2014 when the college football playoff era began. What Miami is up against? Clemson's 24 home game winning streak, the longest active streak in FBS. Tennessee has its own streak to break. The Vols have lost 33 straight games to AP top 10 teams heading into the afternoon game at number 13, Georgia. Texas and Oklahoma will meet at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, which will be odd without the State Fair of Texas going on outside. They're also both coming off a loss for just the ninth time in the 116 years this game has been played. Still, the pure, vicious disdain these two have for each other will flow through the stadium. And that's all coming up next on A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. So grab a ticket, get on board, and enjoy the ride. This train is going to take you on the ride. That's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, and it's coming up next. So welcome in to the college football edition of a train sports talk podcast and do we have some football for you i mean we had the shootout i know they called the red river rivalry but it was definitely the name that it used to be it was a shootout for overtimes between ou and texas how'd that turn out I will tell you a little bit later. Also, Kansas State went on the road today. I'll just go ahead and give you this one. They're riding a three-game winning streak. As they went on the road, knocked off the team that knocked off Texas last week. They knocked off those Horn Frogs from TCU. Final score of that game was 21-14. to So, right now, let me go ahead and get on into... The top 25, okay? So, the Auburn Tigers might be 2-1 and one now, but they've got some serious work to do heading into a trip to South Carolina next weekend. After a solid season opening win against Kentucky, it's been anything but smooth sailing. Last weekend, Auburn was manhandled by Georgia, and instead of getting back on track against a perennial subpar Arkansas squad, the Tigers almost went off the tracks, if not for a questionable call by the officials. Anders Carlson might not have been able to make that game-winning field goal with 27 seconds left, saving Gus Malzone and company from a week of embarrassment. Final score, Auburn, third, Auburn 30, Arkansas 28. Up next, number three, Georgia versus number 14, Tennessee. Georgia wasn't helping itself early against Tennessee, and after the first half, it seemed the Vols would have a real shot at a victory. But in the second half, Georgia wore Tennessee down and used defense to propel itself to a 44-21 victory at home in Athens. If you're a Georgia fan, you'd like to see more consistency out of the offense, but the Dogs still looking like one of the better teams in college football. Final score, Georgia 44, number 14 Tennessee. 21.
BYU against University of Texas San Antonio. Surviving and advancing is the most important thing, and BYU did that against UTSA on Saturday. Zach Wilson, 22 of 30 for 292 yards, two scores. And Tyler Algeyer, 116 rushing yards were good, and the defense made enough stops to remain unbeaten. But costly penalties and red zone turnover and a physical UTSA defense kept the Cougars from pulling away. They will need all the style points they can get against their schedule. And there were none today. Final score, number 15, BYU, 27, UTSA, 20. And now, for the Red River Shootout. Sam Ellinger, Ellinger looked like he was going to carry Texas to a comeback win against Oklahoma, which led 31-17 in the third quarter. He went 30-53 of 53 for 287 yards passing and rushed 412 yards and four touchdowns. But his interception in the fourth overtime, yep, that's right, let me say that one more time. Fourth overtime, ended up sealing the Longhorns' loss. Aside from Ellinger, Texas' running back had 11 carries for 29 yards, and the defense couldn't stop Oklahoma when it counted. Texas had 11 penalties for 101 yards and lost three turnovers to an OU team coming off consecutive losses. It's time to ponder what a realistic season for Texas looked like. Final score, Oklahoma 53, number 22 Texas, 45, and next week, don't look for Texas to be in the rankings. Well, I guess it's time to break out the ball of Pepto-Bismol. Texas A&M turned in the biggest win of the Jimbo Fisher era by taking down number four, Florida. The most impressive aspect of the win was how proficient the offense looked. Quarterback Kellen Mond had his best game as an Aggie. The running game, led by Isaiah Spiller, was strong, and the offensive line was forceful and effective. The Aggies are in great shape heading into the next four weeks. Final score, number 21, Texas A&M, 41. Number four, Florida, 38. Oh, by the way, keep that bottle of Pepto-Bismol out. LSU didn't exactly come into the season expected to replicate last year's championship team. But with an opening three-game schedule of Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Missouri, a 1-2 record didn't figure to be in the cards to start the year either. After a horrific defensive showing and a 45-41 loss to, to Missouri, actually that's wrong, to Mississippi State, though that's where the Tigers are. Even with several high-profile departures for various reasons, Losing defensive coordinator David, Dave Aranda, who left to become head coach at Baylor, is the most glaring. Final score, Missouri 45, number 17 LSU, 41. My correction there. Another game that had a lot of fireworks. Headed into Saturday's game, Mac Brown had to answer questions about why the Tar Heels offense was not making as many explosive plays as many anticipated. 
The narrative will be vastly different after a 56-45 win over the Hokies in which they had 656 yards of total offense. Michael Carter and Javante Williams each rushed for more than 150 yards and two touchdowns, and Sam Howell threw three touchdown passes. North Carolina reached out to a 21-0 lead, and after Virginia Tech closed within five in the fourth quarter, the Tar Heels scored on consecutive drives to put the game out of reach. It was by far their most impressive performance of the season, and they showed they are more than worthy of their top 10 ranking. Final score, number 8, North Carolina, 56. Number 19, Virginia Tech, 45. Next game. Actually, to finish that out, for the third straight game, Virginia Tech was forced to play without key starters and backups on defense. It finally caught up with the Hokies. After a disastrous start to the game, Virginia Tech fought its way back behind Khalil Herbert and some important runs closing the gap to 42-37 to end the third quarter. But the defense simply couldn't make the stops when needed and ended up allowing 399 yards rushing and 9.3 yards per carry. Herbert had another 100-yard rushing game, while Braxton Burmeister and Hendon Hooker both played quarterback for the Hokies, but it simply wasn't enough. So, once again, that final score, number 8, North Carolina, 56, number 19, Virginia Tech, 45. Looking now at the Big 12, number 24, Iowa State. Cyclones were flat-out dominant in their win over Texas Tech, racking up 516 yards and holding the Red Raiders under 100 yards through the first three quarters. At the moment, they look like the Big 12's best team. Their 3-0 start in conference play is a first since 2002 and only the second time since 1950. QB Brock Purdy and running back Brees Hall have this team rolling. Now, notice it said that this team looked like the best in the Big 12. I think that's questionable because K-State, now you have to keep in mind, Iowa State lost a game that they shouldn't have lost. Kansas State also lost a game they shouldn't have lost. But both schools have something in common. They both knocked off Oklahoma. In other words, both teams had signature wins. Both teams stand at 3-0 and in the conference. At this pace, if both teams keep this up, one of these two teams could decide the Big 12. But we can't forget about another team that's undefeated on the season, Oklahoma State. So we will keep an eye on that Big 12 race. So there's a look thus far at the top 25 scores, and I will get you updated on Miami and Clemson, also Alabama and Ole Miss. But right now we want to look at the Pac-12 because it came down that the Pac-12 will be playing a seven-game conference schedule. So 
what would that look like? An average top 25 team would have a 37% chance to go 6-0 against Oregon's regular season schedule. That's high. In fact, that's the same chance that the average top 25 team would have to go 8-2 against Alabama's regular season schedule. And a decent bit harder than the chance to go 7-1 against Penn State's. But here's a secret about the selection committee. At least historically, it overemphasizes the number of losses the team has. I say over because theoretically the number of losses shouldn't matter beyond strength of record, which is the top predictor of a team's playoff chances. To the committee, however, that number is important beyond strength of record, which is why we include it in our model. And that works to the Pac-12's advantage because there's a very real chance that the Pac-12 champion is undefeated. In fact, it's a 44% chance. When it comes to selection day, an undefeated champion will surely at least garner discussion, even against a shortened schedule. And especially if there are only two or fewer undefeated teams from Power 5 schools, which FPI says has a 70% chance to be the case. The second factor here is the Big 12. Texas picking up a loss and Oklahoma racking up two open the door for the Pac-12 to take a playoff spot one of those Big 12 powerhouses would have to take would have taken in some simulations. Some of the time those spots go to a second SEC or Big 10 school. Sure, but the Big 12's demise this conference has less than a 10% chance to put a team in the playoffs. can only help the Pac-12. Oregon and USC are the Pac-12's best chance at the college football playoff in 2020. The only chance the team will meet this season is in the conference title game. Would an undefeated Pac-12 team get in the playoff despite the abbreviated schedule? So how about the contending schools, Oregon and USC themselves? The Ducks have been hurt by the loss of not only Justin Herbert to the NFL, but several critical opt-outs. Losses in the secondary of Javon Holland, Thomas Graham Jr., and Brady Breeze were worth nearly a field goal per game per FPI. And that's not even counting the team's most high-profile opt-out. Offensive tackle, Penny Sewell a potential top five selection in next year's NFL draft. At quarterback, the transfer of Anthony Brown from Boston College should help, at least somewhat, offset Herbert's departure. Brown ranked 35th of 165 quarterbacks with at least 100 pass attempts last season. Though, Tyler Show will get first-team reps initially. The Ducks have solid return experience at running back, wide receiver, and along the defensive line. While they'd be higher without the opt-out, FPI is still relatively high on Oregon and makes them the ninth best team in college football, though 12 points per game worse than the number one team, Ohio State. USC is a little more straightforward. Any true freshman quarterback who has a, who has a, who had who was as efficient as Keaton Slavis was last season is deservedly going to garner optimism the following season. Though the Trojans lost Michael Pittman Jr., FPI does 
expect them to have the best offense in the Pac-12. Though overall, the model likes Oregon best by a point. No other Pac-12 team is within six points per game of USC or seven of Oregon. That the Ducks and Trojans are in opposite divisions and don't play each other works to the conference's advantage. There's a better there's a better than a 10% chance that the ideal scenario plays out for the conference. USC and Oregon meet in the Pac-12 championship game and are both undefeated. Ultimately, the conference just needs one of the two to be undefeated and for that team to win. And even then, a 7-0 record as a conference champ is not guaranteed to get in. But because of zero in that record, the All-State playoff predictor thinks that team would have a good shot. So what I'm going to do right here, I am going to pause and take a break and slip in the word from my sponsor, and I will be back. So stay in your seat. The train is still building up steam. And welcome back once again to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor here, Anthony Smith. Bringing you the scores from around the NCAA. And one score to pass along with you in a game that was a shootout with 111 total points. This is coming from the SEC. Alabama knocks off Ole Miss by the final score of 63-48. to Now what I'm going to do right here, I had the chance to catch up with my buddy, Rick Thomas, and I'm going to play that interview for you right now. So I'll be back after this interview. So stay tuned. A Transports Talk Podcast. Enjoy the interview. Yes, yes, yes. He's here. Rick Thomas running the table. What's going on, my brother? Well, how are you doing, man? I, I saw you like. Hit me up on the uh, on the app, and I'm like, I'll get in on this. How you been? It's good to hear from you. Man, I just did an episode, but you know what? I like doing uncut, unscripted episodes. Hey, you're on my you're on my side now. So yeah, right. we're, <laughs> we're, 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 ladies and gentlemen, uh, from Run the Table on the A Train Sports Talk Podcast, we have the one and only Mr. Cripple himself. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> Because we got someone that's under investigation for making comments like that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. we we it. got the guy. We got the guy that went to Manhattan, and I should have followed him because I could have kept him from being in the cast. Y'all running the table, Rick Thomas. Hey, Rick, you know what? Flick, you know what Flick, man, I love it here. You got to get up here and do some shows with me. It's been, I mean, dude, we're right in the heart of Big Twelve football country. Uh, you know, of course, I mean the Wildcats, Ema. Go cats, baby! We got TCU tomorrow. I think we. I, and I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, but I think I, I like our chances. We, we got KU coming to town in a couple of weeks. We're on the road with TCU tomorrow, and there's oh, of course. And right now, I'm sitting here watching my Yankees play uh, Game Five in this divisional series. Uh, knock on wood, we're doing well right now, one to nothing. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Right? See, I, I told you the other night when you send me text messages talking about how tough the Rays were. I said, okay, but don't count out the Yankees. I mean. Well, you know, this game, this is anybody's ball game. This is anybody's game right now. I'm not saying one or nothing is nothing. That that doesn't mean squat in the fourth inning. It really doesn't. Exactly. 
Exactly. So, tell me something before we get into the other issue that at hand. Before we address the other elephant in the room. Sure. How about coming down the wire? Uh, Kansas State is going to be hosting the inaugural Little Apple Classic basketball season. Basically, yeah. that's going to replace the Cayman Island Classic that they were invited to. Yeah. And on the slate will be Drake from Missouri Valley Conference. Sure. South Dakota State. And are, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this uh, Big 12 reunion? Colorado. That's- Oh, wow. All right. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Love it. And, you know, and right now it's tough for me to get to excited because right now, now, nothing against all that. But what I mean, it's football season right now. And, you know, in Manhattan, I don't know, we spent a lot of time here, but football is king. I mean, it re- now, basketball, we love it. Don't get me wrong, but football is football in, in Manhattan. I mean, oh, man, it's just crazy. Exactly. exactly. We're doing all we can just to work through this this COVID, and you know, there's not it's limited amount of fans, et cetera. But we're still, I mean, it's still Aggieville's still popping when these games are on. Exactly, Aggieville is going to be Aggieville regardless. I mean, limited access, a lot of access. Ag- football season in Aggieville goes together like a hand in the glove, like oh yeah, like like well, maple syrup, like maple syrup on pancakes. But, no, let me, so here's uh, here's what I'm hearing up a lot. Let me ask you if you agree with this. I'm hearing a lot of K State fans bring this up, and I think they've got a legitimate point. The Big Ten jumping in late. How is this fair? If you're Kansas State, and there's other schools that can say this, you can say, look, if we got to choose and pick our skip, if we got to play like three or four less games, we'd be unbeaten right now. Losing the one out of the shoot, if we, if we can jump in now, and, we, you know, how is this fair that you're going to consider these Big Ten schools for major bowls when they're not playing a full season? Well, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, if you want to stop and think about it, let's take it a step farther. The Pac-12 wanted to extend the playoff bowl, the college football playoff, to eight teams instead of four. I'm okay with that. Because, well, well, you have to realize the reason the Pac-12 uh, proposition it is because they figure that's their only hope of getting in. Because yeah. at the current at the current format, you look at the SEC. And they're either going to beat each other up or they're going to help bolster each other's strength of schedule. Sure. You look at the Big 12. The Big 12 only hope of getting somebody in the college football playoff is you might not agree with this, but right now it's the only hope. Oklahoma State has to pretty much, if I can use your hey, show today, name. Today you're right. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's where we're at now. That's usually not though. Oklahoma is usually in the thick of that, and Texas is usually on the outside looking in too. Right now, speaking of Texas and Oklahoma, see, I, I had a chance to hear you and Scott Styles. I'm kind of jealous. I'm kind of salty about that because <laughs> Scott was—I've been on Scott to join my podcast, and you get him on yours before he comes on mine. And I'm gonna, <laughs> let, him, I'm gonna, let, I'm gonna let him know about that too. So, with that being said, though, you look at the Texas Oklahoma game. Now, yeah, it's, it's a big game between those two schools. But I heard it said yesterday that there's more pressure on Texas to win this game than there is for Oklahoma to win this game because Oklahoma got their two losses. So, yeah, yeah. They're, pretty, they're pretty much a wounded animal. They're playing for their pride. But Texas, they were predicted to be in a hunt for a college football playoff. So what they do? They barely beat Texas Tech. 
Yeah. They lose at home to TCU. And this is more of a pressure game for them than it is Oklahoma because you look at the recruits. They're basically in the top ten in recruiting seem like the last three years. Yeah. You have a quarterback that's been in this been in that system what for three years? He's a fourth year, fourth year, fifth year yeah. senior. So yeah. he, he's he's been through it. So there's really no excuse as to why they are performing or underperforming the way they are. And if they lose this game, I've already went on record to say it right now, they're basically playing for it. Tom Herman's job. If they lose yeah, this game, yeah, I can yeah. see that. I can see that. I want to bounce back for a second, though, to what we were talking about the eight teams in the playoffs. Here's the reason I, I agree with this it has nothing to do with the Pac 12. It has to do everything to do with the fact you've got power conferences. And, okay, the SEC is going to swallow up two of those spots. We, we know that. At least two, sometimes three. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and you're always going to have that argument. Uh, if you only allow four in, there's always going to be that that fifth, sixth, seventh seeds that are just kind of outside of that looking in. They're going to make that argument and say, you know what, we could compete with these guys, but we'll never know because we're not getting a shot. So why not expand it to eight teams and eliminate You know, there's always, no matter how you do it, even with eight teams, there's always going to be somebody somewhere that puts their hand up. But you can eliminate a lot of this by letting – you get your five power conferences represented and a couple of non non power conferences and get them in there and eliminate a lot of the uh, what if he should he should we should stuff. We'll find out. Let them duke it out. Well, you know what's going to eventually happen because I think right now they're contracted to keep it at a fourteen uh, format. Then after that, at whatever the time limit is, then they'll probably go back before the board and expand it. Try to expand it to eight. I I would love to see eight, but. I would. You know, even if you had teams coming in that were just getting their rear ends handed to them, at least you could say, you know what, we gave them a shot. You know, these guys went; they may have had a weaker conference, but they they had their argument. They wanted to get in. We give them a shot. Give them that. Let them let them get in there. Do it now. Now, here's the other thing that you have to be very careful of. You don't want to end up seeing because if they push it and get eight, well, then eventually someone's not going to be satisfied with that. Well, there's, there's always going to be that. There's always, and, but and think, think about, about the level of dissatisfaction we have now. This. Think about this, though. How many bowl games do we actually have? I mean, I'm surprised no one has come to Wichita and said, hey, let's yeah. use the <laughs> stadium. We'll call it the Cessna Bowl. Well, I'm surprised they haven't either. I, you with have the Mongolian Bowl. You have the yeah. Cerrone. I mean, every – you, you could even have the Kellogg's Frosted Flake Bowl. So I, I think it would be huge. I think if they did that, you know, and, and because you've got a great market there. But they are starving for football in Wichita. I think it would be great. Um, I And I'm kind of shocked nobody's done that, too, especially with the size of market you're in. That's crazy nobody's thought of doing that. Or maybe they have. Maybe they have their reasons for not doing it. But And I understand the Wichita State Shocker football program many years ago. It's, you know, they, that city's never really recovered from that loss. It's just it's tragic and it's horrible. But, well, you know, the the last great thing they had with Wichita State football. Yeah. Well, I'm going I'm, I'm to give you the last sad thing they had was Ron Chismar being the coach. Yeah. He was, he was an assistant on the Arizona State staff and came from a pretty good staff at that time. Yes. But I think the sad thing was when they let Coach Willie Jeff Jeffries go. You know, yeah. We had that on your, on your show on live radio. They had an eight and three season, which was the last season for Prince McJunkins. Yeah. Then the following season, they went three and eight, 
and they didn't give the man a chance to rebound from that three and eight season because he had his nucleus of players coming back, and all he needed was one more year to get you know after that three and eight season. They could have even went eight and three again the following season. Nope, you bring in a guy from Arizona State going to take a well back in the day they called them option quarterbacks. Today they call them dual threat quarterbacks. Yeah, you want to turn him into a pro style quarterback and. It's like trying to turn a bunch of thoroughbreds into a bunch of Clydesdale. <laughs> sure, sure, that, sure. That was demise. So now let's address this elephant in the room. We have Wait, about which state? We're Wichita talking about Greg Marshall. Is that what we're talking about now, Greg Marshall? Greg Marshall. Uh, some of the comments I've seen. Um, you know, here's the thing. I, it, it's, it's tough for me. It's really hard for me because I, I've always been a fan of Greg Marshall. I've always liked to. I mean, he's, he's, he's coaching. You know, he's just you know, look at what he's done for that program in Wichita State. He brought he brought the Shockers back into the into the limelight. I mean, they've been in the limelight before, but it's been a minute. He came along and really put. I mean, what he got him into the Final Four? How many years into his tenure? I mean, he did that fairly quickly and. I, I, it's disappointing. It really is for me to hear this stuff about. It. I, and it's hard for me to place judgment because I don't know. I wasn't there. I, I wasn't in the rooms when the, these incidents occurred or supposedly, allegedly occurred. I don't know. I hope. I really hope that a lot of this did not happen. Seriously, I, I'm hoping that it didn't. Now I will say this. I, you know, even, even Fred Van Vliet said, "Practices a war." Yeah. <laughs> He said the game itself is a reward. He said, but practices, you going through it. Uh, I think Garrett Stutz and some others from back in the day, they said, you know, you come in Wichita State, Greg Marshall will break you. Well, here's here's where I here's where I'm concerned. Here's where I'm concerned with it with a lot of this. It does concern me heavily that you had how many play, how many guys left that program last year? Was it six or seven? I mean, I that. To me, for for there, it's hard for me to think that there was absolutely nothing to any of this when you have that many guys that stand up and say, "I, we're not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm gone." That's concerning to me. It really that is concerning. That is alarming. But you know, I just can't go off of this last because even even Marcus McDuff, who was like him and Samaje Haynes Jones, they were the lone seniors when this crop of players came in, as a matter of fact, the one that left. And Marcus was like, you know, he said, when I came in as a freshman, we had more of an upperclassman. We had more juniors and seniors. Yeah. So the juniors and seniors kept things in tow. He said, but when I was a senior, he said it was just me and Samaje Haynes-Jones, and we have all these youngsters. He says, so I can understand what's going on because I played with those guys. And I'll I'll say it like this. They were puppies up under Marcus McDuffie and Samaje Haynes-Jones. Sure. But Samaje Haynes-Jones and Marcus McDuffie left. Someone wants to be the big dog guy that litter of pups. And, hey, if you know anything about dogs. Yeah. You're gonna always keep your eye on that one pup that's trying to be the big dog at all them little pups named them but three days old. Yeah. So now by the time these guys are sophomores, oh they try somebody's trying to be established. And I think one of the things that may have happened, as much as they say they were bros and everything, I think when Dexter Dennis left the team for personal reasons and came back, 
and it was during the East Carolina game. Yeah, a game that they shouldn't won handedly, but for some reason. And I remember that game because I seen Eric Stevenson's game like elevate. I mean, he was on fire until he had a hand injury. He scored twenty seven that game. Yeah. But the the reaction when Dexter Dennis came through that tunnel. I mean, the fans seen him. I mean, the place just erupted. And I think that might have caused a little dissension amongst the ranks. Yeah, I, I could see some of that. But I, it's just – but here it's just – and, and I want to give I want to give Marshall the benefit of the doubt. I really do. But I, but you, you've got six or seven guys. I mean, this where else has this ever happened? I, I can't think of anywhere right offhand where that many guys and re- threw their hands right. up and said, and I got to go. I'm done. I, that's – well. I, I tell you what happened. It was because of Brad Doherty that Roy Williams ended up in North Carolina. Well, now, come on. Now, Roy Williams wanted to go home. He's from North Carolina. He grew up. This, well, this is a guy who worships Dean. But, 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 but understand, understand this. Brad Doherty had the job there, and he was getting the same complaint that Greg Marshall is getting. And remember, Roy Williams turned down North Carolina the first time. Yeah. The Doherty situation, that was the tip of the iceberg. And the fact that, you know, KU fans need to get over it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm I mean, I, I, don't think, I don't think Bill Self's been such a bad replacement. I don't think. Right. I mean. But, 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 but hear me out. KU fans need to get over it because they like to bring that up. They, some of them still haven't gotten over. They still hold that. It's like they're holding a lifelong grudge. But if they was in the same situation. Well, well, here, here let me tell you. Man, let me tell you why. And the man's parents. Here's the first thing: his parents are back in North Carolina still. Not only are his parents in North Carolina, but his parents' health is not the greatest. Well, if okay. the man wants to go back home. To be at a at the basically in a parallel job, but closer to okay. his parents who are aging and their health is better. That just makes more sense. Let the man go. Well, get, okay, but getting back, okay, let's let's rewind here for a second because I'm going to defend KU fans that are probably locked onto this. Going, you got to be kidding me because here's here's what pissed off KU fans. It wasn't the fact that he left. It was how it was done because Roy Roy Williams came out. I don't I don't even remember this at all. But he came out and said, like two or three years prior to that decision, rumors were floating that he was jetting to North Carolina. And he addressed it. He came out and said, I am a Kansas Jayhawk. I will always be a Kansas Jayhawk. I'm not going anywhere. And then he turns around in two years and leaves. That's what's got him fired up. And that's why they're holding that grudge. It's not the fact that people make their, you know, but that's a big part of it. I'm just telling you. I think what really got them fired up is, and and not so much that he left, but – Remember the interview with, I think it was Hannah Storm? I, I'm trying to remember. And, I'm not sure. And she asked him, they just lost the game. And I always say this, man, sometimes reporters can ask the most, it may be the right question, but you ask it at the wrong time. Yeah. I'm like, you got bad, you got like bad time. It's like watching a guy on the dance floor with two left feet. <laughs> but she asked him, they just lost the game. To pull him out of the locker room, <laughs> was this his last game coaching Kansas and would he take the North That's- Carolina job? And he basically like, I don't give a flip right now about North Carolina. I got That's a teammate that lost. It's that kind of thing that I'm getting at. So, yeah. so in, in that in that heat of the moment, you know, sometimes you have to look back. But, but he right now, to that. At that moment, right. at, at that moment, 
he he means every word that he said. But as time goes, he had to give it some thought. And he did, though. He did give it thought, and he came out and said, I'm not going to go. I'm a Kansas Jayhawk. Always will be. This is what he said. And KU fans were, like, relieved. They were white. They were like, oh, good. We love Coach Boy. We want him to stay. And then a year and a half, two years later, he goes, bye. And that really, really chapped a lot of people. It's not, you know, people are going to make their own decisions for their own professional careers. And I, I understand. Who doesn't understand that? But don't lie. Don't sit there and, and tell us one thing. Okay, and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he meant I'm pretty sure he meant to he wanted to stay there and he's still a KU guy. Hey, on any given NCAA tournament, and if they're in the same bracket and in the same building, after his team plays, you see him with his North Carolina blue. You also see him with a KU lapel on his shirt. Yeah. So he he's still saying truth to his word. So KU I'm gonna still say this, KU fans get over let the hey I'm like this. If my parents are back thousands of miles away, yeah, they can see me on TV, but ain't nothing better than being able to be close to your parents and can actually physically see them. No, I get all that. I get all that. And, and, and I don't think most KU fans care. I think I think they did for a while. Bill Self's been great. I don't think he, you know, nobody's complaining about what Bill Self has done there. He was, you know, Bill Self was on the verge, and I know, we'll never know, but he was on the verge of winning a national. He was going to go Final Four last year. If it wasn't for COVID, that, that team was a shoe into the Final Four. I, they would have had to have literally shot themselves in both feet to not get into the Final Four. We, I mean, so self done well with them. I, I hate to, I hate to bust your bubble, cause see, we don't know what the brackets would have been. I'm, I'm going to talk about Charles Barkley. <laughs> see, we don't know, we, we don't know what the brackets would have been, and you know, all they would have to do was stick KU in a in a bracket with either Wichita State. Oh no, or no, 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 you don't. Oh no, that, no, 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 you can't even. Tell. And that would be, they got and that would be their kryptonite. That would be their kryptonite. <laughs> hey, check, check, hey, now, now I'm going go to my shack with, hey, man, you better Google them. You better Google, you better Google their stats. They beat them in, when they were in an off year, and everybody knows that. And with, I mean, and I like my soccer's. I got nothing to get, but that's reality. They that team last year would have smoked Wichita State, and I and I like my soccer's. I got nothing against them, but can't, that team was just a, a, they were that good. They went how? What did they have? One or two losses? They were ranked number one going in overall. I mean. They that was as that was as close as they were going to get to a national title in a while. I mean, it sucks that it happened. COVID, I mean, right? That's just that's. I mean, it just sucks. And we'll never know. We'll never know. I mean, you're right. They could have stumbled and like now, anything happened right. that tournament. You never know. Now, Who knows? Now, now here's what I am going to say. And even though they went on to a different conference, and we talked about Greg Marshall, even with everything that's going on, one thing can be said. Greg Marshall can coach with the best. Yes, of there's no question. There's no question think, he can. When you think about when you think about all the turmoil that they went through last. There's year, no question he can. I mean, there's no they, question. They still they still pull off twenty something plus wins. Yeah. Then, then you have the have the halt to the season unexpectedly. Then you have the players mass exodus. Now here's what gets me. So if he if he made those comments about poor Bear Chandler because he's a Native American tell me to get back on his horse. I, 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 I hope to God that he I hope that he did not. I, why did he come why did he come back? Yeah, and I hope if I he really hope God's then, above that he did not do that because it would really be disappointing to me if he did. I wanna know why would he come back? And then he said something about uh Jamie Echenique he make a really good Colombian coffee picker. If it, it 
If he said that, why is Jamie still speaking highly of his coach? Why was coach well, fighting tooth and nail trying to help get his parents over here for his senior I game? Something ain't lining up. And then on top of that, then on top of that, he still pulls out one hell of a recruiting class, you know, mixed with junior college players and incoming freshmen. And they even said, look, yeah, when you see that many players leave, it does, you know, if you, you know, have reason for you concern. He said, but, he, he said, but they still saying, I'm sold on the man. One guy went as far, one of the recruits went as far as to say, he reminds me of my junior college coach because he's tough, he's hard-nosed, and that's the kind of coach I like. Well, I mean, okay, let me ask you this. Do you, do you believe that he put his hands on some of these players? I mean, that's what some of the allegations are that he, he choked somebody. He punched a guy. Now, I'm not saying this happened. These are the allegations. Here's how I'm going to answer that because I read I, I read US, USA Today article, and they didn't put too many names on it except Shaq Morris. <laughs> then when I read the uh, feed from ESPN, the feed from ESPN basically said that uh, when they asked Kyle Linstead, his words were no comment. No, almost comments. If he did it, he did it. If he didn't, then say he didn't do it. Now, you could say you and him might have had a heated altercation, but we want to know that he tried to choke you. But for you to say no comment, well, then, hey, no comment won't, to me, no comment won't fly in, in the in the court of law. Because what, what did they say in the court of law? Your silence, what? Well, okay, but here's the scary part about all that. We, we all know, I mean, Bobby Knight was basically exited out of coaching over these kind of allegations that he put his hands on players, that he would get physical with them. This is the stuff, and it was never proven. He came out and denied a lot of it, but he this they, he literally got banned from coaching. I mean, not legally, but pretty much nobody would touch him because of this. And it's just, you know, again, I go back on this. I hope none of that's true. I really do for the sake of that program. And for the sake, I think, Greg Marshall, I'm with you. He's a good coach. He always has been a good coach. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, I, I hope as a human being that he's, and it's easy for people to be judgmental. We, you know, we don't know what goes through people's minds and none of us are perfect. We all do stuff at some point. We sh- we look back at and go, we shouldn't have done, but I just hope, you know, that, that, that these allegations, especially the, the racist remarks, the, uh, the physical stuff. I just hope that's not true. Now here's what I do believe could, could have possibly happened. You know, there are some coaches that are hands on. And when I say yeah. hands on, they, they may rough you up and say, look, now this is the position you got to get. You know, they may grab and put them in the right position and then show them how to body up. Uh, no, yeah. that, that, but, you you know. There's a difference, though. There's, and I played right. enough basketball and in high school. We had coaches that would do that. That would, they would We had coaches that would make us take a charge, this kind of stuff, you know, to learn how to do that. But there's a difference between that and putting your hands on somebody's throat. I right. mean, that's, that's just a huge difference. Right. I mean, there just is. You know? and, and I'm and I'm pretty sure Cal Linstead, who Greg Marshall, was at one time might have been his prized high assistant, who's now with, on the coaching staff in Minnesota with Rick Pitino, Richard Pitino, Rick Pitino's son. I'm pretty sure they're like, hey, don't concern yourself with that. You have to get ready for our upcoming basketball season, and we don't want you to be distracted. So I'm pretty sure that's why come he said no comment. But no, you've been asked, so you need to tell us something. 
Did the man yeah. try to choke you? Or did the man not try to choke you? Did y'all well, have, there, did y'all there have there a verbal altercation? If that's if y'all had a verbal altercation, then we can understand he, that. But you need he to may be him. under orders from his attorney though to not say anything. That's a possibility. I mean, in these types of situations, sometimes you have an, an attorney who tells you, "Look, under no circumstances do you talk about these allegations because we put in it's just a legal issue. If this ends up going to court, we you, right now you your mouth needs to stay shut. That's possible. I mean, who knows?" Right. So, yep, that's that's what we have going on. And so, you know, hey, we can all we can do is hope the best. Because like I say, the last time, you know, some allegations came over the coach. All I can say is that women's team under her coaching, they won, I think, three Missouri Valley Conference championships. Yeah. The next group. Well, I'm not I'm I'm catching every other word. Hello. Hello. There you are. Yeah. I can hear you. I can, can you hear, hear me? You. Hello. Can you hear me? Okay. Right. All right. All right. No, right. I, I appreciate it. It's probably about time for me to get here anyways, but I appreciate you yep. having me on. Always, Always, man. You're welcome to come on. So, yeah, but like I said, in closing, you know, last time they had something like this come up, that lady was no longer a coach. And I'll just say her name. Her name is Jody Adams. She was the best thing to happen with Wichita State Women's right. Basketball Program. She came from under. Pat Summit, legendary Pat Summit, gone but not Pat. Sure, sure. So you can imagine what her coaching style was. It was demanding, and I think today's athletes, yeah. they want things given to them. They don't want to work for it. They want it to be handed to them on a silver platter. And today's coaching style is just not geared towards today's athletes. So it is what it is, and we have to deal with it. So, yeah. well, run the table, yeah. Rick. Thanks for being on. I have to come back on your show again too. So we'll just go back. You're more than welcome. We'd love to have All you. Right. All right. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by the new BK's African Boutique, where you can get your custom t-shirts between $10 and $1 masks starting at $5. Check her out. Email BJKonjira. That's B-J-K-O-N. G-I-R-A at gmail.com or call 816-694-4111. Ask for Bridget. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rick Thomas. And now what I'm going to do, I'm going to get you ready for the NFL. There are a slate of games on tap. So the games that will be on tap for today with noon kick couple of games at noon kickoff times. These are the noon games coming on today. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Houston Texans. The Cincinnati Bengals going up against the Baltimore Ravens. Bengals will be looking to see if they can keep their hot streak alive. The Carolina Panthers will be up going up against the Atlanta Falcons. And the game that's always interesting, a rivalry game. Las Vegas Raiders versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And can the Cardinals bounce back? As we look at the Cardinals taking on the Jets. 
Then we have the Philadelphia Eagles going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers in a battle of Pennsylvania. Then you have the Rams taking on the Washington football team. So those are all your games that will be starting at noon today. Now we move on to the next slate of games. You have the San Francisco 49ers going up against the Miami Dolphins. And in a game in the NFC least, former offense, offensive coordinator facing his old team as the Giants take on the Dallas Cowboys. That game time is at 325. Also, the Colts taking on the Browns, 325 game time. On a correction, I made reference to the Bengals against the against the Ravens, but here it is, the Browns, the Cleveland Browns coming off their big win last week against the Cowboys take on the Colts. So the Browns will be looking to see if they can keep their streak alive to prove that they are a legitimate team. And, of course, the late night game will be Vikings versus the Seahawks. And right about now, Russell Wilson, like he has his hands on that MVP trophy. Also, 4 o'clock game be the Patriots versus the Broncos. And it's been said that Cam Newton didn't practice with the team on Saturday, so we don't know if he'll be playing or not. And then the Monday night game will be the Chargers versus the Saints. And a game that was moved to Tuesday because of coronavirus issues will be the Bills against the Titans. So hopefully that gets you set up. There's a plethora of games between tomorrow, Monday, and Tuesday. So there you have your rundown of a slate of NFL games. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Hope you enjoyed the the scoring updates and hope you're ready for your NFL on Sunday and hopefully you enjoy the interview that I had with Rick Thomas until next time this is the A-Train Sports Talk podcast and enjoy the rest of your weekend I'll be back with you tomorrow to give you some more give you the NFL updates